Amen. Great worship. Praise God, you're here. So great to see some new faces today. And if I have not met you yet, welcome to Vertical Church. We are so glad you're here. I know I speak for the entire church when I say that we've been praying for you and we know that there's a lot, it takes a lot sometimes to make it to a church on Sunday morning to worship God. But here we are, and we're going to open up God's Word today, and we're going to let Him speak to us. So if you have a Bible, would you please take it and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians is a, seri- is a book that we're in right now, and we're going through a series. We've been working through this book one chapter at a time, week by week, and this is week nine, so we're in chapter nine. We have seven more weeks to go, and we are seeing that we are called out. If you know Jesus Christ, if you have a new life that you found in Jesus, he's your savior, you have been called out of darkness into the marvelous light of Jesus Christ. That's what was going on in the church of Corinth, and it's true for us today as well. There was a lot of challenges that the church of Corinth had, just like we have a lot of challenges. And through it all, the answer every single time to every one of their issues was their identity in Jesus Christ. And God worked a mighty work with the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30, speaking of God, it says, Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us the wisdom from God, righteousness, redemption, and sanctification. And we're seeing, as we, as we look at the Corinthian church, we're seeing that we're really not much different than they are. We struggle with pride, with division, with, with a lot of these same immorality, a lot of these same issues that the Corinthian church faced. And Paul is laying out this truth for us. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. In your identity, your, your, your passion and your pursuit of him makes all the difference in the world. So last chapter in chapter 8, if you're, if you're new with us today, let me just quickly bring you up to speed. We had our first message on limiting your liberty. And chapter 8 was all about Christians limiting their liberties that they have in Jesus Christ for the sake of other Christians. That was the focus. It was brother to brother, sister to sister. Hey, it's not about let me just make sure I never offend anybody and never do anything that's going to make the other person disagree with me. It wasn't that at all. It was the right question to ask was, will this be a stumbling block to their conscience? So we're not about pleasing people with stricter standards than us. It's about loving that weaker brother or sister who could stumble into sin. And that was the question we had to ask. Would my freedom make them sin against their own conscience? And it was a very a freeing and liberating passage to work through that gray area and really see the truth there, that we can limit our, our liberties and our, our freedoms in Christ for the sake of other Christians. And this week in chapter 9, we're still talking about limiting your liberty, but we're talking about it in the sense of not brother to brother, sister to sister anymore, but more with the focus on the lost people that are in the world that don't know Jesus. How can we as Christians now limit the freedom that we have been given from Christ for the sake of the gospel to reach people who don't know Jesus. So let's begin in chapter 9 by looking at verse 19. 
All right, verse 19 is where we're going to start today. We're going to cover this chapter, but 19 is key here. It's, it's, the, it's the main point of this whole chapter. Verse 19, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew, in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though myself not being under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. So if we can focus on verse 19 for just a quick minute, this is literally the cheat sheet for the rest of this sermon. Verse 19. It's so important. And look at this right here. This is the verse, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant all, that I might win more of them. I actually got this phrase right here from this awesome book. It's, it's a book on the Christian conscience. It was written by one of my old professors, um, Andrew David Nicelli. But he says that if you want to break this down, the freedom to discipline myself to be flexible for the sake of the gospel. So that's where we're going with the message today. We're looking at this freedom that we have in Christ that we don't need to grasp onto, that we need to hold loosely and be flexible with so that we can reach other people. That's our mission. That's what God has put us here to do. This passage is clearly about winning something, right? I actually use the word winning five times in four verses, if you caught that. And for some of us, we hear, like, win some. Yes, like, I'm a competitor. I love this, David. You say the word, I got I to gotta compete and get this done. Give me a carrot and a stick, and I'm going after it. It could be a video game. It could be sports. It could be anything in life, my business, my career. I'm a competitor, and I'm, I'm one of those crazy threes. I'm an achiever. And then the other people in this room, the other side of us, is like, uh, I'm a little more chill. A little more laid back and saying you need to discipline yourself and limit your liberty, that doesn't quite have the same punch that it has, maybe for my, my competitor brother or sister. I'd like a little little more information. I'd like to know what is in this for me. What do I what do you need from me in this situation? Um, give me more information. Now, I'm not going to tell you what the prize is. The prize that we can win, I don't want to share that with you quite yet. We're going to hold that to the end, so hang tight for that. But I will tell you, Paul is talking about doing whatever it takes for the sake of the gospel. Do you see that there in verse 23? I do it all for the sake of the gospel. Setting aside personal freedoms for the sake of the gospel, the advance of the good news. Jesus Christ is the mission. If he has saved you and called you out of your old lifestyle, you now have a purpose in your life to glorify God and to share with others who Jesus is and what he has done for you. Now that does light a fire for some of us and it doesn't light a fire for all of us quite yet. I can't convince you of that, but I know someone who can. So as we open up this text and dive into this, let's begin with the word of prayer and just talk to God at the throne of grace. Father in heaven, as we go into your word here today, we realize that this is eternal, 
This is truth that will change us. We ask that you convict us and move through the speaking of your word. Lord, don't let us be complacent, but spur our hearts and our minds and our passions to action today. Give us clarity today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so the first point, the first way that you can be on mission for Jesus Christ, number one, is surrender your rights for the sake of the gospel. We've already been alluding to this. You can see where this is going, but it's surrendering your rights for the sake of the gospel. Now, verses 1 all the way through verse 18, Paul is pretty much using his situation with the Corinthian church. They were not paying him at all. Okay, he was an apostle. He wasn't a pastor. I think they were paying their pastors, but they were not paying Paul the apostle. And Paul is using his non-existent salary as a huge, giant illustration of surrendering your rights for the sake of the gospel. Um, we don't know exactly why the Corinthians weren't paying him, but the point is, that, that wasn't really the point. The point was, hey, look, I'm setting this aside. I'm not going to fight for this because I don't want it to get in the way of people who don't know Jesus to find Jesus. When we say surrender your rights, for some of us, it's like, yes, sign me up, I'm there, I love Jesus, let's do this, go, yeah, we're there, right? And then, like I said before, there's another side of us, if we're not really quite in tune with what this means, we can think that sounds pretty dutiful. It's like, wow, all right, I gotta surrender my rights and limit this, and that doesn't sound super fun to me. Yeah, maybe for some Christians, maybe for pastors or missionaries or those ultra-spiritual, ultra committed Christians that don't have the same life I have, they just don't understand my life. But remember, Paul is giving this letter to the Corinthian church, right? Nicely speaking, like some of the most immature Christians you'll ever meet, the Corinthian church. So this is true for them, and it's true for us too. We don't get a pass on surrendering our rights for the sake of the gospel. And here's what you were created for. You're created to bring glory to God. And you bring glory to God. You show his truth in the world when you tell others about the love of Jesus and you show Jesus Christ. So setting aside your own personal liberties and freedoms for something that is bigger than you. Something that is greater than you yourself. Before you really own this and take joy in this, you have to understand that this isn't just something that God invites you to do. This isn't just something that you can fit it in wherever it's convenient. No, this is part of you being called out to a new name and a new purpose and a new passion. You and I were not created for our own personal happiness. Contrary to popular opinion, that's not the case. This is why we don't find fulfillment. We will never find ultimate pleasure when we pursue our own happiness. Because you were designed and created for something greater. You were made in the image of God for the glory of God. And you have, if you have Jesus Christ, if you know him as your Savior, you have a relationship with God, you have eternity in your heart, and you have a deeper purpose on this earth for Jesus Christ than you ever had 
on your own. We find happiness, true joy, when we pursue something that's greater than ourselves. And this is where this winning concept circles back in. You were created for something so much bigger than your own personal happiness. The world says, do whatever makes you happy. If having kids makes you happy, go out there and have kids. If, if not having kids is going to make you happy and, hold, and you don't want to be held back, have a dog and be happy that way. If your marriage isn't making you happy, get out of your marriage. Our world says, do what makes you happy. As a matter of fact, a lot of times our career choice depends on that. You know, I'm a millennial, and I think millennials are, are a little different in a sense, even than the previous generations, because previously it was all about, like, making money. Making money will make me happy. And then my generation sees, well, you know what? My parents made a lot of money, but they still hated their life, so I'm going to try to find something that will make me happy, and I'm going to pursue that. But pursuing happiness will never lead you to your true meaning. You find meaning not by pursuing happiness. But when you pursue meaning, that's when you will find happiness because Jesus is your meaning. If you can see that there, you don't find your meaning by pursuing happiness. You find happiness by pursuing meaning. And the meaning is Jesus Christ. When you discover him, that's when you discover true soul satisfaction. Real peace is found in Jesus. Living on mission, the life that he has created you for and that he has gifted you for. So live for something greater than yourself. We see this all throughout scripture, specifically all throughout uh, the book of Corinthians. And if you uh, think about this, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, there's a very, very well-known passage there in 2 Corinthians 5, uh, starting in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And if you were called out of your old lifestyle, that lifestyle of pursuing every other possible thing under the sun, that pursuit of happiness, which never really leads to true peace and happiness, you were called to live for someone. His name is Jesus, who is greater than yourself. This principle is throughout all of life. And a lot of times we just don't stop and personalize it. If you think of a powerful movie, just a really amazing movie that, that resonated with you and, sh and just struck you and you love, I, I can pretty much guarantee there's an 80% chance that that movie has this redemptive theme in it. It has the redemptive theme of some person who seems to be coming out of obscurity and they find themselves thrust into this new mission and they limit their liberty, they limit their rights for the pursuit of this new mission. Can you think of any movies like that? I actually asked a few of my friends that question this week, and I tell you what, I have a huge list. I won't even tell you all the names, but who are some characters that we've seen that do that very thing? They pursue a mission that's greater than themselves. Uh, Bruce Wayne, Valiant from Kingdom of Heaven, William Wallace, Katniss Everdeen, The Children in the Chronicles of Narnia, Ray from The Force Awakens, Luke Skywalker, Maximus Decimus Meridius, I mean, I could go on and on and on, right? 
Every single one of those per people have this same exact thing in common. They realize life's not just about my thing anymore. I mean, Ray and Luke from the, from the Star Wars universe, right? They get thrust into this greater mission and they start sacrificing everything to defeat evil. And for the, for the good and for this new mission that they have just stumbled into. I mean, if you take Maximus Decimus, like, yeah, he was, he was once high and mighty, but he came down to nothing. And eventually he's just in this vengeful pursuit to right the wrongs of his own family. But over time, that, that vengeance slowly changes into a pursuit for the best interests of Rome. And he lays aside everything he has to make Rome the best. And here's the thing, you and I, if you've been called out of darkness to live for Jesus Christ, you have a new mission. And the kingdom of heaven is way greater than Gotham City or the districts or Rome or you name it, okay? It, does, it has nothing on any of that. So what I'm saying is, we have a mission. And you can forsake your liberties and you can discipline yourself and surrender your rights for the sake of the mission that Jesus has called you to. Is your blood starting to pump a little bit more? I hope it is, because it's there. That's what we all need to do. So let's look at verses 1 through 15, and we're going to see here, I'm just going to run through these verses, I'm going to read them, give you a little bit of commentary on them. I already told you this is Paul surrendering his rights, but this is what he says. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do other apostles, as do the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have, not, who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? So he's saying, hey, look, if I'm giving you the gospel, this is my life's work, I have the right to actually earn a living through this. And it's not just me saying this. It's also scripture that says this. Does not the law of Moses say, for it is written, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for the oxen that God is concerned? No, he's saying, hey, if that oxen is working for you, don't muzzle its mouth. Let it roam free so it can eat some food at the same time while it's serving you. So God's workers, pastors, preachers, Paul's case here as an apostle, he has that same right. As it is written for our sake, because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop, if we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more. Nevertheless, we have not made use of these rights, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service temple service, get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So verse 16, Paul clears, clears it out and says, look, I'm not making any use of those rights. His heart, his passionate challenge is, do it all for the sake 
of the gospel. Even if it means surrendering your rights, Jesus Christ is that important. And here's the thing. Jesus Christ came to this earth for you and me. We're on mission for him right now, but we get motivated and moved on that mission when we think about what Jesus did for us. He bore our sin in his own body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. So before we move on to this next point, what does this look like for you and me? How can we surrender our rights for the sake of the gospel? Well, I mean, our time is valuable, right? This, I think you really have to make a case here that you should limit some of your time for the sake of the gospel. I would love to just hang out with my, hang out with my wife, Julie, all the time. Talk to her all the time. I would much rather do that than go hang out with guys who don't know Jesus and, and talk to them. But I know that I do need to limit some of that. I need to sacrifice some of that for the sake of the gospel because that's what God's called me to do. I'd rather... Play with my boys, right? Throw the football around with Beckham, jump on the trampoline with Paxton, get on the floor, roll around with Monroe, have fun with them. But I also know that I need to spend some of my time and my energy on advancing the good news of Jesus Christ. And when I do that, actually Julie is sacrificing her time to free me up to do that. And the more I thought about this, it's honestly not happening as much as it probably should, for me at least. And if you want to think about that yourself, like how much do you really sacrifice for the sake of the gospel of reaching lost people? The truth is I couldn't come up with many, many freedoms that I limit in my own life. But we're all on this mission field. You don't have to be overseas to be on the mission field for Jesus Christ. We're on it right here in Sparmer, right where, wherever you live. And I know you want a nice house, and I know you want to make your kids happy. And we all want to have a nice life, for sure. But we can't let those things get in the way of our true calling. This is our real purpose in life. This is where we're going to find meaning. This is really where we're going to find joy and satisfaction. It's in doing what God has called us to do. You have the freedom to go around and make a million dollars. But can doesn't always equal should. And I also realize it's not easy sometimes to, to really work this out because you're making daily decisions. You're trying to survive half the time. And, you know, I'm even thinking about the stay-at-home moms in the room today, right? Like, how are you really supposed to pull this off? Like, I want to please my kids. I want to do things for my kids. And I just don't even have time. And there's a lot of us who are just strapped. You have maybe a super busy job and it's a demanding work schedule. So how do I do all this? Well, think about it. Even on the workforce, you can be a witness for Jesus Christ. As a stay-at-home mom, one of the most unrewarding, thankless jobs there is because you're dealing with these little, little sinners in your household, right? Your calling is to disciple them and to bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Don't underestimate that calling. Because if those little kids don't know Jesus, who are they going to see Jesus from? They're going to see Jesus from you, right? So you're doing this very same thing. If you understand your called out identity in Jesus Christ, and you understand the cosmic place that you have in this world and the mission that you have for him, you're not just going to live for your own happiness and your own joy and your own peace. So many people in this world think that that's the way to live. 
and they can never achieve it or arrive where they want to be and they're confused. It's because they think that my place in life is just to fulfill my desires. And you're not created for that. You're created for something bigger and greater than that. And it's the mission of Jesus Christ to glorify God. So that's why we surrender our rights for the sake of the gospel. We do it all for the sake of the gospel. The second way that you can live out this mission, number two, is be flexible for the sake of the gospel. Be flexible. And this is, again, verses 19 through 23. We already read these verses. Uh, I love how Paul just goes through it, through it very systematically, one step at a time. To the Jews, I became as a Jew. I want us to turn to Acts, the book of Acts today, uh, chapter 15. And we don't usually dive into a whole other section of scripture, but I think this will really help us to see, to really to illustrate what Paul is talking about. When Paul says to the Jews, I became a Jew. In Acts 15, if you want to stick with me on this illustration, there was a huge council, all right, between the New Testament church leaders, Paul, you got Cephas, you got, or yeah, Paul, Cephas, James. They're trying to figure out, okay, all these new Gentiles are coming to Christ, but they're not getting circumcised. They're not doing all these old law um, rules and regulations that we had with the old law. Do they have to do that? And that was the Jerusalem Council. And in the Jerusalem Council, um, look at verse 7. Yeah, verse 7. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up to them and said, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? So, hey, let's not make the Gentiles do these same things. We couldn't keep up with it. Our fathers couldn't keep up with it. They're not going to keep up with it. Verse 11, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, just as they will. And therefore, you know, jump down to verse 19. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those Gentiles who turn to God. So, all right, they made a decision. Jerusalem Council, we don't need to force these people to get circumcised. You don't have to do it. They're in Christ. They're under the blood. They have freedom. They're, they have grace. They're in the church age. We're not going to worry about it anymore. And then you have chapter 16, the very next chapter. And we're not going to read all these verses, but what happens in chapter 16? Paul meets Timothy. Timothy's mom was a Jew. His dad was Greek. So he's coming from this, this, uh, this mixed racial marriage, right? And Paul tells Timothy, hey, for the sake of the Jews that you're going to be ministering to, there's gonna, you're going to run into a lot of Jews who don't know Jesus. And you need to go ahead and get circumcised because if you're not, it's just going to be too big of a stumbling block for them. So this is an example of, to the Jews, I became a Jew. And I'm telling you what, Timothy sacrificed way more than probably anybody in this room has ever sacrificed. All right, Because he went ahead and did that for the sake of the lost Jews who couldn't get over it. That he wouldn't have been that way. Um, look at the next one. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. This is the flexibility here. We're talking about fluidity, right? And, 
And for those outside the law, what about all these Greeks and Romans now who, who have no biblical knowledge? They don't understand the Old Testament at all. Well, if you want to look in Acts 18, actually, excuse me, Acts 17. Acts 17. This is where Paul is in Mars Hill, right? And now... He is in Athens, the center of Greek philosophy, and he's speaking to the Stoics, and he's speaking to the Epicurean philosophers. And what does Paul do? Flexible Paul, what does he do? He starts quoting Greek poets as he gives them the gospel. It's amazing. Paul just steps right into their situation. He blends right in. He, he gives them the truth of the Jesus Christ resurrection, but he does it in a way that they'll relate to it. And they'll understand it. And then when they start laughing at the resurrection and they actually start giving some pushback, notice Paul doesn't back down. So chapter 17, verse, uh, verse 32. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out of their midst, but some Men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius the Apogite and a woman named Marius and others with them. So if you look back now in 1 Corinthians 9, back to 1 Corinthians 9, look at verse 21. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. And then, parenthesis, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. This is a very important distinction that Paul is pointing out here. That yes, I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to do it all for the sake of the gospel. And so to these Greeks, to these Romans, whoever all these people are, I'm going to connect with them. I'm going to make it personal with them. But I will not go outside the law of God. Do you see that? You see, he actually has a boundary there. Like, yeah, I'm going to do this, but this doesn't mean I'm just going to participate in all the same corrupt things that the world around me participates in, all their devastating life choices that are just eating them up and messing them up, I'm not just going to fit in with that. I'm going to stay within the law of God. And I'm also going to make myself known to them and connect with them the best I can. I'm going to blend in the very best I can. And then to the week I became weak. That's the next thing that he says there in chapter 9. To the weak I became weak. And you don't have to read this one, but this is in Acts 21. Okay? In Acts 21, Paul is again dealing with the Jews. Now, a lot of times we think of weak. When we think of weak, we automatically start thinking of people who have just a messed up life. And their life is just in shambles. And that's, that's the weak person. But what did, we, what did we learn last week? Last week when we looked at the weaker brother in Christ, the weaker sister, that wasn't somebody that just was a train wreck. The weaker person there as a believer was a Christian who had a strong, super strong, high convictions and standards. So the weaker person was somebody who didn't understand their freedom and their liberty in Christ, right? So it wasn't about like pleasing this person who has stricter standards than me. It was just a matter of, hey, this person is still weaker in mind because they don't understand they have the liberty to eat this meat offered to idols. They don't understand that they have this newfound freedom in Christ. And if I participated in this, I would cause them to sin. Likewise, similarly, we know we're not talking about Christians in this chapter, right? 
I mean, he makes that really clear to the week I became weak that I might win the week. I've become all things to all people. That all means I might save some. Don't get this confused. He's not talking about other Christians here. So who is a weak, lost person? Are you, are you tracking with this? Like, let's think about that. It's a different category of person. A weak, lost person is simply someone who probably comes from a different culture they have a different background that probably has higher, stricter standards. Maybe this is a different country. Maybe this is someone who doesn't know Jesus, but they could not get over the fact that this person loves Jesus and they have, they have tattoos or they eat bacon. And that's just too big of a stumbling block, right? Are you with me on that? If you're going overseas, if you're going into different cultures, sometimes maybe even in the States, but you're trying to reach a lost person and they're so uptight about some elevated personal standard that they have, the, the, the right thing to do would be maybe, maybe that day cover up your tattoo and don't flaunt that. Maybe be careful and gracious about your freedoms so they don't become a stumbling block for somebody who doesn't know Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is saying about when he's talking about a weaker person. And isn't this what we saw from Jesus? You've got to bring this all the way full circle back to Jesus Christ, right? He was ultra-flexible. But he never compromised the truth. Of course not. Of course not. He didn't talk to everyone the same way, right? He talked to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. He talked to her much differently than he talked to the Pharisees. He talked to Nicodemus differently than he talked to uh, Zacchaeus. Jesus was flexible. He was a friend of sinners. He talked to outcasts, to leopards, to demon-possessed people. And he knew, he knew how to talk to people who knew the law. Absolutely. So do you see how you don't need to be overly concerned with what makes me the most comfortable? Or we've never done it that way before. Or who's going to be upset? Those are not the questions that you need to ask. The question that you need to ask is in verse 23. Am I doing it all for the sake of the gospel? So there's... There's really two extremes in this whole realm that you have to avoid. There's two extremes. The one extreme is just to get in the world and to just totally be of the world. You're a chameleon. You just blend right in. You can see no difference. And the church becomes like a glorified YWCA. All right? That's not what we're going for because there's no life change. There's no eternal impact. And the other extreme is I know the Bible. I know the truth. and I'm going to stand on that. And you don't actually connect with anyone. And you don't have any fluidity or ability to reach the lost because you're so rigid and stiff in your way. You can't go to either extreme because neither one makes an impact for the mission that we have for Jesus. Paul isn't saying throw away all your standards and throw away all the convictions that the Holy Spirit leads you in. Of course not. He's saying to the weak, I become weak. I'm going to make an effort to connect with that person at their level. This is self-fluidity. It's being flexible. And we've, and we've also seen self-denial. That was verses 1 through 18. And this third point, the last point today, we're going to see self-discipline. This is the third way that you live on mission. Exercise self-control for the sake of the gospel. Look at verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? but only one receives the prize. 
So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercise self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I should find myself disqualified. I love as a preacher that Paul just literally fed me his illustration right there. Didn't have to think of an illustration this week for this third point. It's right here, right? As an athlete disciplines their body with self-discipline, that's the same way you and I need to focus and we need to make decisions based on doing it all for the sake of the gospel. Self-discipline. I was thinking about this a little bit more and uh, I just... I just think it's incredibly ironic, okay, that McDonald's advertises so heavily in the Olympics. Every Olympics. Have you ever noticed that? Every Olympics comes around, and McDonald's is right there as one of the prime advertisers. I mean, you're watching cross-country skiing, and then, boom, you're hit with a commercial about a Big Mac. It's like, that's the demographic you're going for? The people who are, like, watching cross-country skiing? Probably not, but whatever. Um, that's cool. We'll go with it. I was in the Atlanta Olympics in 1996. I was 12 years old. I remember we were all in on the Olympics back then, right? I mean, we, we watched the Olympics. We were watching it on TV, too. And that particular year in the Olympics, I distinctly remember they had all these commercials of these Olympic athletes just shooting the breeze, hanging out at McDonald's. They're in their track suits. They're, like, all decked out in their Olympic gear, sitting at Mickey D's, eating McDonald's. And I just found that so ridiculous because do Olympic athletes reach the pinnacle peak performance of their profession, the best in their country, by just eating cheeseburgers and having fries and milkshakes? No, they don't. <laughs> they don't at all. They discipline their body. That's what we need to do. And I also love here that Paul is using sports illustrations. Because Paul is showing us how he's becoming all things to all people. He's talking to the Corinthians. Ever since Alexander the Great, the Greeks were all about sports. They were huge into athletics, right? Do you think Paul was really into athletics? What do we know about Paul? I mean, you take church history, like, outside the Bible now, but we're talking about tradition. Paul was this really short, bald guy who could not see very well at all. I mean, we know he's a Pharisee of a Pharisee. He's a book guy. He knows stuff. He's a heady, knowledgeable guy. He's not the kind of guy I would imagine boxing or running races. He's not an athlete, but he is making himself into this person who understands some stuff. Hey, you know how all runners run so they can win. He's using another boxing illustration. He knows the Corinthians host the Isthmian Games every three years. And this is second only to the Olympics. It's a big deal to them. When, when an athlete would participate in the Isthmian Games in Corinth, they had to prove that they had trained for 10 months. And then 30 days before the Games, they had to check into Corinth, just like the Olympic Village, and they had to go into the gymnasium every single day and constantly work out. These people were dedicated. And they ran so that they could win. And they were doing it for a perishable crown. Okay? In the Isthmian Games, they got a little pine wreath. That's what they got. In the Olympics today, you can get a silver 
or a bronze, or a gold medal, right? All those things will burn one day. They won't do anything for you for eternity. We are doing it. We are running this race for an imperishable crown of glory. And I love that Paul says there, run that you may win. Now here's where the I told you about the prize, right? Said I was going to wait till the end. You probably have already figured it out by now. But if you're thinking the prize is a relationship with Jesus, and the prize is salvation, I hope you're shaking your head right now because I'm not talking about earning your salvation. You're never going to earn your salvation. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The prize is leading someone into a relationship with Christ. The prize that we're on this race for is the mission that we have to share the love of Jesus. In Corinth, only one person could win that race. For us today, we can all win the race. Every single one of us can win that race. That's a big difference. The Corinthians were grasping onto their rights. You need to ask yourself, am I doing the same thing? Are there things I'm just holding on to because I'm more consumed and focused on my thing right now than you are about bringing glory to God and introducing the loving Savior who can change everything about them, everything that they need changed about them is through Jesus? So look, this passage is literally saying, discipline your body. I like chocolate chip cookies. I like greasy hamburgers just as much as you. Sin of gluttony is one of the least spoken about sins in the American church. We preach about all the other sins. I'm not going to let you off on this one either, okay? We have to discipline our bodies. So think about the decisions you make. Are you taking care of your body? There may be, there may be freedoms that you have in Christ, things that you can eat or drink, that you can do, but if you do too much of a good thing, too much of a good hobby, too much of eating or drinking of any substance, and it's tearing down your health and it's limiting you, that's a problem and that needs to be sacrificed. This is a personal question that you have to analyze and think about yourself. I mean, do you like to get out there and have fun late at night? Do you like to play video games late at night? I mean, on Saturday night, what does that do for you on Sunday? If you like to do it on Sunday night, what does that do for you on Monday when you need to actually get out there and work or go to school and be a light for Jesus? If you're so worn out and you haven't given yourself the mental capacity and the space to flourish, you're not following what this passage is saying. Self-discipline for the sake of the gospel. If you're all about entertainment, you're not focusing on your relationship with God and growing in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is why we have to keep our eyes on the prize. The prize is living this life that God has given us for His glory, for His mission. You were created in the image of God for the glory of God, and He has called you out of the old into something new. A simple pursuit of Jesus Christ. A simple pursuit that removes all distractions, gets all those perishable reeds out of the way, those reeds of entertainment and luxury and, and fun and popularity. All those things will never matter 10 minutes from now, 
10 years from now, I don't know, but they're going to burn one day and they won't matter. What does matter is bringing glory to God and living for Jesus Christ. Doing it all for the sake of the gospel. He's the prize. Share him. Do it all for the sake of the gospel.